Podcast New York. What's up, Dueling Decades? This is Wax. Peace to all you guys, and uh, thanks for having me on the show. Will it be the 90s or the 80s? Beanie Babies or Crack Babies? Will it be Nirvana or Madonna? Maybe Britney, maybe Whitney. Do you like new metal or new wave? Dave Grohl or Super Dave? I don't know. But now the battle begins. Dueling Decades. Let's see who wins. Dueling Decades. Broadcasting from the Podcast New York studios, it's the adult-only retro game show where the decades battle for supremacy because it's your history. We just fight for it. Welcome back to Dueling Decades. I am Mark James, and this week we investigate the idiots as we look at dumb capers and crimes, as I'll be representing 1980 alongside the other duelers and the decades they will be fighting for. First off, and swinging back to the 70s, say hello to Man Crush. That's right, I am swinging back to the 70s. Something like that might actually pop up, but I have uh, 1974, and I actually wanted to give a shout out to all of our new listeners in Ireland. I don't know <laughs> yes. where you all came from, but uh, it's like an epidemic in the last couple of weeks. And uh, welcome to the show. Also joining us on the panel and representing the 90s, please welcome back Trevor Gumble. Good evening, gentlemen. It's good to be back. This was the year I became a legal adult, but I assure you I am still functionally immature. <laughs> And as always here on the show, we need somebody to adjudicate all of this awesomeness. So this week's guest judges continue the recent trend of returning judges. Please welcome back the team behind the documentary film, The Orange Years. All rise and welcome judges Adam Sweeney and Scott Barber. Woo! How's it going, everybody? I did the same thing, Scott, and did a uh, salute. <laughs> can you hear it? <laughs> yes, you can hear us now. We are saluting everybody in Ireland. And uh, yes. <laughs> We're so excited to be here. Adam Sweeney, are you? Uh, I am. Is that an Irish last name? I am. That's why we brought we brought on Adam Sweeney for all the new Irish listeners. Yep. So you're welcome. I was handpicked, uh, <laughs> born, born, and, born and bred for this. So I'm very thankful to be here. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, the following contest will be held under Dueling Decades rules. The judges' coin flip shall decide who picks first out of the five Dueling Decades categories. Movies, television, music, news, and hot products. A judge's ruling will determine who wins each round, allowing the victor to choose the next available category. The first three rounds are worth one point each, with rounds four and five worth two points apiece. And in the event of a tie after all five rounds, we shall go to a final wild card round. Remember, duelers, to review the show. Listen, subscribe, and play along at home. It's time for more Dueling Decades. All right, let's toss it right down to Adam Sweeney and Scott Barber for the coin toss. Here we go. Trevor, you call it. Heads. It's heads. All right, Trevor, you won the coin toss, and you take control of the board, and you get to select our first category. All right, let's go with hot products. So my hot product premiered in November 1998, and it's not a physical product uh, in general. It is a software, actually, that started a trend that became a phenomenon that became a lawsuit. 
Um, what I'm talking about is the premiere of Audio Galaxy, uh, created by Michael Marge. Uh, originally, it was an FTP search engine. Uh, the Audio Galaxy satellite peer-to-peer -peer client would reach 1 million downloads in 2001. But in May 2002, it was sued by the Recording Industry of America, and it would force Audio Galaxy to block sharing of illegal songs. In June 2002, Audio Galaxy would settle the suit for an undisclosed amount and make its services opt-in. In September 2002, Audio Galaxy would discontinue peer-to-peer -peer services in favor of Rhapsody, the pay streaming service. So this kind of begat the whole file sharing, Napster kind of thing. And, you know, it kind of blew up and then fell. So my hot product for 1998 is the premiere of Audio Galaxy peer-to-peer -peer client. Helping people steal music everywhere. Luckily, they didn't have to deal with Lars Ulrich. That was Sean Fanning's. <laughs> that, that, that might be the 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 statement of a, a lifetime. Everybody, right? <laughs> Outside yeah, of Metallica. Napster stole our music without asking. They never sought the permission. That's that's my <laughs> Fanning best. Fanning did pretty impression. well though. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and he ended up owning like a piece of Facebook. So I think uh, overall worked out pretty well for that dude. He got played by Justin Timberlake. So. Yeah, and that, and that. Not a bad way to go. Our movie's been out, uh, The Orange Years, the Nickelodeon story, for a couple of months now. And, um, you know, occasionally I'll visit the dark parts of the internet for purely educational reasons. I've never pirated a movie or a song in my life, and I never would because I think it is just wrong. Um, but, it, you know, we've, we, we got on iTunes, we got on Amazon, but it was whenever I saw it pop up on the pirating websites that I felt like we truly made it because people <laughs> wanted our movie so bad. They broke the law when I, I kept checking and I was actually kind of offended that we weren't on there. I'm like, come on guys, steal our stuff. What? Only were... two seaters. <laughs> were you tempted to just put the movie on there yourself just to see if anyone would take the bait? <laughs> I was going to, I was going to say, we actually just like took profile pictures of us with like the big noses and fake mustaches <laughs> and glasses we were like, I hear this is a hell of a film. <laughs> it's gold, I tell you. You're gold. <laughs> All right, Man Crush, what did you bring for the Hunt Products round? All right, so first a little backdrop on this week. So with this week's episode being that it's about crime, we decided to change our hot products for hot products. Just which one of us could deliver the hottest stolen product uh, but let's find out here. You know, Trevor just gave his, but I think mine's going to be pretty hard to beat. Uh, February 17th, 1974. Uh, I don't have any file sharing going on, but in the wee hours of the morning, we had a United States Army PFC, Robert Preston, who buzzed over dozens of midnight commuters on the Baltimore Washington Parkway. What did he buzz? What did he buzz over them with? You ask. That would be. A stolen Huey fucking helicopter that he lifted from Fort Meade, which is roughly 30 miles away from the White House. And then you might say, well, why did you mention the White House? Well, Private Preston, uh, he decided to fly to the White House and land on the White House lawn with this stolen Huey. And as one would expect, that landing was very brief. He immediately uh, was met by two Maryland state troopers who had helicopters of their own, and he flew away. And then from there... Preston led these guys on an aerial cat and mouse chase that lasted for 30 minutes, went for 50 square miles, leading one officer to say afterwards, he was one hell of a pilot. 
he proceeded to hover near the Washington Monument, nearly colliding with it before returning to the White House, where he hovered 100 meters away on the South Lawn. Uh, then he took shotgun and submachine gun fire. Uh, and then Preston, uh, he put the UE down. He attempted to escape on foot. He was tackled and promptly arrested. And as it turns out, uh, President Nixon was not in the White House at the time. He was actually in Florida. Uh, so nobody was actually there. So even if he did something, whatever. Uh, but even though he led two police shoppers, scores of law enforcement personnel on a high-speed chase, he broke tons of laws, military regulations. He only served six motherfucking months in the brig and he received a general discharge people have heard this before i i was in the marines i knew dudes who did far less than this and reserved way more time in the brig and got dishonorable discharges like what the fuck like only 1974 i guess but i give you the hottest product hottest product of 1974 it's a huey helicopter yeah, it's pretty hot. Uh, yeah, he only stopped whenever it's like once uh, machine gun fire started <laughs> happening. He's like, ah, oh, you know what? I'm good. Uh, yeah, he was. And they were flying low. This is a UE helicopter. He's, he was flying like 20, 30 feet off the ground through traffic. And just picture this. And that's a no fly zone in downtown Washington. So just picture the streets and these UEs and helicopters from the, the state troopers flying all over D.C. And a, a college age O.J. Simpson was holding up a sign telling him to keep going. <laughs> just, just keep going. Fly, white boy, fly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty wild. So the, the story was, and because obviously a helicopter is a hard thing to fly, but there's no key. So you can just jump in, but most people can't just jump into a helicopter and take off, you know, but this guy, he actually went to pilot school or whatever they happened to call it in the army. And he, uh, he washed out. He actually failed the flying exam like twice the final exam. So he never became a pilot. He became a mechanic. And just one day he supposedly a couple of the articles I read, I don't know. He got into it with some girl that he was supposed to meet at a, this bar and ended up stealing the chopper because she stood him up and then picked up the chopper and drove and like drove he flew to that bar and landed in that parking lot and then lifted off and then just went to the white house that's what you do wow pretty dope story though you know we were so archaic back in the 70s you know you got people like rushing into government buildings in bizarre costumes and stuff you know, <laughs> you know now we're you know we just we've come so far it's amazing though like yeah obviously we saw that happen you know last month but this happened in 1974. It almost seems like the, the places you would think would be the most heavily guarded. Yeah. Those who do not understand their history are doomed to repeat it. Could you imagine if you had a helicopter and like a buffalo costume? I feel like you could go. <laughs> well, they didn't say what he was wearing in this. So I'm not really, okay. I'm not sure. I'm sure it was probably fatigues for him to, because uh, they did say this was pretty telling too at Fort Meade. There was only one security guard at the uh, like the flight portion of the base or whatever. I don't know what it's called. I wasn't in that type of air wing, but there was only one guy guarding all that. And they happened to see this dude go in there and he just thought, it, oh, it's weird. That guy didn't give me a flight plan. Eh, OK. And he waited like 15 minutes before telling anybody that this dude left the base with a Huey. But it's like in a way it kind of makes makes sense. Right. Because, I mean, like. Uh... 
with, with 9-11, everybody's like, well, how did that happen? And it's like, well, it had never happened before, right? So yeah. we didn't know what to yeah. expect. But something that did happen before, and I will say with him going to that bar uh, in uh, on a helicopter, uh, he has continued a long line of uh, men trying to do stupid things to impress women <laughs> <laughs> that dumped him. So Check me out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All those guys holding up boom boxes outside their beloved's homes. <laughs> Try harder. Yeah. yeah. I wouldn't even want to get in a helicopter that's like piloted by a professional. Like they just scare the hell out of me. Cause you know, like if you get in a plane and something goes wrong, it's got wings and you can kind of like glide down. Drift. But a yeah. helicopter, if something goes wrong, you just fall. Crap. You know? <laughs> so it's like just being in a helicopter scares me, let alone like, stealing one and flying it down streets and into machine gun fire like this dude's bonkers well all the helicopters i see are the ones with like one end open you know you you know those the ones where like there's no door on the other end you just yeah i'm yeah. like fuck no i am not doing that that's what a huey is i mean you picture like the vietnam helicopters yeah like, yeah that's what you got and that's something i would like so if this guy needed me to go with him, I'd be like, you know what, dude, you're on your own. Um, I'll be at the bar making the reservations. Like I'll buy, I'll have a drink for you as soon as the submachine gun fire yeah. starts. He'll he'll talk to the girl and he goes, "How will I know which what guy it is?" He goes, "Trust me, you'll, you'll know." know. <laughs> All right, guys. So from my hut products, we're gonna go over to June twenty eighth, nineteen eighty, in the Miami Herald for an article written by Herald staff writer Ellen Hampton. The Baron's House, a glass and stone cage hidden in the jungle of Coconut Grove, where Linda Lovelace made film history in Deep Throat, has fallen victim to burglars. And the self-proclaimed Baron, sculptor Seppi Dabroni, wants his stuff back. Dabroni, 58, wants return the 120-pound ivory tusks from an elephant that he had shot, three animal skins, six Tibetan yak wool rugs, two Nepalese lion statues, four Tibetan sacrificial knives, and a 45-inch high-painted Garuda bird, which is a bird that's half eagle and half human. Also stolen was two nude sculptures made by the artist, one of Raquel Welch and the other of Bridget Bardot. Those idiots thought it was gold, he said. <laughs> But it was brass, 28 cents worth of brass. It's worth nothing to them. At exhibition, that's a different story. They took one year's worth of my work, he said. They took my whole show for the fall. He put the value of the uninsured goods at over $100,000. Debroni is offering an unusual reward for the return. A trip around the world with guaranteed fun at every stop. He says, hey, it's something different. He figures eventually the burglar will have a girlfriend who'll squeal on him one day when they get into a fight. Although they do know that the estimated cost of the reward is approximately $2,000. A plane ticket is included, but details such as accommodations and food haven't been worked out. So for $100,000 worth of goods, he is offering a $2,000 reward, but there will be fun at every stop. And uh, a little caveat there, uh, Army PFC Robert Preston, former Army PFC Robert Preston is actually the pilot of that plane. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's guaranteed fun. But, uh, but Mark, would you really want to take a trip with someone who collects shit like that? I don't know. Yaks, Yaks rug sounds pretty cool. 
I'm not too sure about the sacrificial knives, though. Yeah. I, I draw the line there. Well, that that's the fun that's to be had. They're going to sacrifice you. <laughs> what did Linda Lovelace have to do with the whole thing? Well, she fi- she filmed scenes of Deep Throat in the house that was burglarized. Oh, wow, that's a deep cut right there. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's toss it down to Adam Sweeney and Scott Barber to get the verdict on the Hut Products round. May we get the uh, Mark? Would you give us the name of the of the sculptor again, please? Seppi Dabroni. Uh, to my my family and my community in Ireland, uh, that is not a name that's foreign to us, or not a name that's uh, familiar to us. So uh, I just wanted to hear it again, just for Seppi Dabroni. I'm probably totally butchering the last name, but. It is for all intents and purposes, I can tell it's Debroni. It sounds like the, one of the rocks failed insults. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was going to say he also was the showrunner for the Sopran- the Sopranos. Uh, Scott, what are you what are you thinking, man? Mm, that's tough. You know, the peer to peer stuff is pretty cool, but honestly, it's like that's not really a crime to me. That's just me personally. It's you know, it's a it's status like thing. It's a st- it's a status thing. Debroni, man, that's pretty crazy. But then you got, you know, flying a helicopter down the street and landing it on the White House. Pretty intense. I feel like I would be a hypocrite if I were if I were to choose the peer-to-peer because uh because I was a huge fan of LimeWire and Kazaa and the 28 different uh siblings that I downloaded plenty of probably like Evanescence or uh, mid Radiohead, <laughs> mid career Radiohead albums from. Ah, I'm torn, Scott. I, I defer to you, man. Peer to Peer is also where I found out about Wesley Willis. Who, if oh. anybody doesn't know about Wesley Willis, please check him out. Yesterday, there were, I found uh, my friend found something on a peer to peer pirating website uh, that was called Metallica or Nirvana covers Metallica. It was like, what the hell is this? So yeah, downloaded it and it was Wesley Willis. <laughs> so someone was just putting Wesley Willis out there and calling it all this crazy stuff. Like that's what we it's... need to do for the orange years. <laughs> yeah, we need to be like Tenet covers Billy Madison. And people yes. are like, What? And it's the orange years. What you think, Adam? You wanna you wanna you wanna you wanna cast the winning vote on this one? Oh the judges are deferring to each other. <laughs> this is like yeah we're we are the, we're the most diplomatic judges of all time <laughs> uh you know what i'm gonna i'm gonna go with uh i'm, I'm gonna go with uh with the yui uh just because i'm too i'm i'm too scared just like you scott i'm too scared to get into a helicopter so for that man to risk life and limb in such a timely fashion uh, I, I I think that that I have to salute that as a very a very hot hot product and a hot take. <laughs> nice hot. All right, man crush, you pick up the point for that one, and you get control of the board. What category are we going with next? All right, let's go with movies. Let's knock the movies out early. Either you have it or you don't, right? Uh, let's go December twenty fifth, Christmas Day, nineteen seventy four, and I watched this particular movie last night for the first time in my life. And I'm ashamed to say that I had never heard of it before I selected it as a TV pick. Uh, pro- probably like over a year ago, maybe two years ago. Uh, it was a botched, failed attempt by TV to, to make this into a TV show. Uh, but how's that for a hard sell on this pick? 
Uh, but that said, I was initially going to pick something else and I could still keep that one in my back pocket if it comes down to a tiebreaker. But as soon as I saw Buddy Cop movie, I had to know what this was all about. So I actually, I liked it a lot. I've seen lots of movies from the 80s and 90s. With the addition of the 70s to this show, I feel like I've opened up the door to a bunch of new movies. So if you're bored with reboots, you know, sequels that come out 30 years after the original, you're just like me. I hope this opens up a whole new avenue for you as well to find something original and worth seeing. And if, hey, if Hollywood isn't going to be creative, I'm glad that there's a slew of movies that feel brand new to us that we haven't seen before. And I think this is one of those. So if you have seen this one before, maybe this will motivate you to go and see it again. So this buddy cop movie, it's got to be one of the first of its kind. This movie, it's a product of being trapped in between like the bubblegum movies of the sixties and the buddy cop movies of the eighties that we grew to love, like lethal weapon. For example, you have like that really grimy seventies action feel, but then here's my thing with this one. Whoever was in charge of the music should have been taken down the alley and tuned up after this was released. I'm I'm a hundred percent honest with this right here. If you took a musical score from any eighties buddy cop movie, lethal weapon, any, anything like that, and you just dubbed it over this one, it would have been 10 times better. But instead they filled this movie with this goofy slapstick comedy score that maybe you'd expect on like the three stooges. It was that bad. Uh, it just didn't fit. Uh, so let me know after you find out what it is. If you guys go and watch it, let me know if you felt the same way. Uh, and I, I want to ask you guys, cause you know, you're both filmmakers who has the final say on score. Is that the director? Cause I honestly, I want to know who's responsible for this. Somebody has to answer to this. And if it's Richard Rush, the director, I want to know. I mean, if it, I don't know if it's a, rhetor a rhetorical question, but I would say uh, that, I, I mean, I would say that directors usually probably have, have the final say on that it. Bastard. That bastard. I don't know <laughs> what he was thinking, but uh, you know what? Uh, this film did really well at the box office, pulled in just over 30 million bucks. So that's $170 million in 2021. So even though I hadn't heard of this movie before I had it as a selection, it did really good numbers for 1974. So if you're in the mood for high-speed car chases, car crashes, James Conn playing an absolute scumbag cop, cross-dressing villains that are schooled in karate, main characters with no real names, they all go by nicknames, cops engaging in bondage to coerce criminals, wives running around with landscapers, Alan Arkin faking his own death to pull off a gag, two shootings in restrooms, more extramarital conspiracies, and two crooked cops that are really hard to root for, then Freebie and the Bean is the movie that you need to watch. <laughs> oh, Freebie and the Bean makes its way back to That's the show. That's right, it does. And wow. It was good, man. I'd never watched it before, and I, I, I had to rent much it. Much better than the TV version. I didn't. <laughs> yeah, much better. <laughs> but was it like they made the movie and it was such a success, they tried to do a TV spin Yeah, like six of it, years or? later, they uh, they put out a pilot. And we had that as a selection. Uh, I don't remember the details of it. I think it was NBC that put it out. It obviously didn't last. Same actors? Or no, is it no, no, actors? no. This was James Caan, uh, Alan Arkin. Uh, none, neither uh, of those two okay. were in this. You know, they Neither of them. Uh, but yeah, that didn't last at all. That was out the window. But this movie, really good. If, you're, if you've never heard of it before or you're just in the mood to find something new, go out and watch Freebie and the Bean. It's worth the watch. 
even if you have to suffer through the uh, the musical score like I did last night. And I was kind of pissed. I was watching. I was like, okay, surely this is just this one scene they're going to do this in. Nah, they did it multiple times. Everything. Just very <laughs> slapsticky, stupid. Didn't didn't fit. But yeah, freebie at the scene. I, I long for the days of the seventies and the eighties, whenever you could make a movie called Freebie and the Bean. Like, yeah. like the fish that saved Pittsburgh, the, like just stuff that you're like, wait, what? So what? So is the movie actually about a fish that say, no, no, no. Dr. Julius Irvin is in it. Dr. J. There's a story behind freebie and the bean though. So freebie, who is James Caan, who's a scumbag cop who like kind of courses people and just to finagle free shit from people. Like there's a scene where they go into this high end, uh, like men's clothing store. And he, he comes out with like an expensive jacket after telling the guy that his fire, like the fire, he's not up the fire code and he can call somebody. So he walks out with that and then Bean, I'm guessing, and this is very 1974 that they had Alan Arkin play a uh, Hispanic. So I'm thinking they called him Bean. I, I didn't even think of this last uh, night. I'm just putting it together right geez. now. Yeah, but it, which yeah. is weird because Alan Arkin's not Hispanic, I don't think, right? I don't think no. so. No. My last, I know I'm gonna guess no. Maybe, maybe, probably not. <laughs> but he played. It's 1974. They did a lot of things that are a little kooky. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Watch Bad News Bears. Uh, <laughs> uh, remember uh, Fisher Stevens in uh, Short Circuit? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Oh yeah. Yikes. <laughs> and that wasn't even. That was like what 87. Yeah, 86, no, 87. Yeah. Yep. Short Circuit. And he was in the second <laughs> one too. He was the only character that came. Like, well, if we can at least get him back, that'll be cool. Pair him with Michael McKean, and you've got gold. Gutenberg's out. Ali Sheedy not interested. And they're like, but can we get Fisher Stevens? They couldn't even get the guy from Police Academy to reprise his role for this. And they just went straight with Fisher Stevens on Michael McKean. Hey, oh. he got that cocoon money. Yeah. And But that did have, oh, God, that movie. Oh, that was... <laughs> and, you know, a, a buddy cop movie that went in reverse, what, like TV to film years later, like Dragnet, you know, with yeah. uh, with Tom Hanks and Dan Aykroyd. That was, I thought that was kind of cool. I thought we were going to say Car 54, Where Are You? Did they ever make another, did they make a reboot of Car 54? They made the you? movie of yeah. Car 54, Where Are You? Yep. With Fred, Fred, Fred Glenn was in it, right? No, it, well, I think he might have been in as a cameo, but it was oh. um, the guy from uh, the New York Dolls. Oh, really? Yeah, it David was Johansson. David Johansson and uh, John C. McGinley from Scrubs. David what? Johansson, who appears in our film, The Orange Years, the Nickelodeon studio, uh, the Nickelodeon movie, the Nickelodeon story uh, in archival footage. Very nice. All right, Trevor. So what did you bring for the movies round? The movies round, uh, before we started recording, we were talking about Happy Gilmore, right? Oh, no, Billy Madison. We were talking about Billy Madison. Um and my film comes from the very same director, Tamara Davis. Uh, this film involves uh, three friends who have to get their buddy out of jail because he killed a police horse who was diabetic. And they have to find a way to come up with the money so they can bail him out of jail. So what they do is they start selling the weed that Dave Chappelle, his character, gets from the hospital he works at as a janitor. So um, you guys have figured it out. Mike. A selection was released in January 16th, 1998. Um, it is half baked. It earned only 
seven million dollars this opening weekend, uh, ranking number six. And by the end, it only grossed about seventeen point four million. But it's become this huge cult classic on video. Um, it's getting a Blu-ray release finally. Uh, but yeah, I mean, what what's a dumber crime than killing a police horse who's <laughs> <laughs> diabetic by feeding? That was, oh, but, that was butter. That was buttercup. Yep, buttercup. <laughs> Not to be confused with butternuts or butterstock. <laughs> oh, Harlan Williams, what an underrated, underrated comedic actor. All right, guys. So for my movie, uh, released June twentieth, nineteen eighty, is a film that tells the tragic story of two orphaned brothers one of which was just released from prison for holding up a gas station just to pay back his friends. On a mission from God, the two brothers put the band back together to try to raise $5,000 to save the orphanage they were raised in. If you haven't figured it out yet, we're talking about the tragic tale of Jake and Elwood Blues, the Blues Brothers. Now, when I think of stupid crime films, this classic is one of the first that comes to mind. And this was a movie that was a complete staple of my youth. Some of the many crimes committed in this film include, but are not limited to, driving with a suspended license, parole violation, evasion and and resisting arrest, reckless driving, driving in excess of 100 miles an hour, theft of windshield wipers, theft of a public loudspeaker, disruption of a permitted protest, impersonation, skipping out on a $100 bar tab, destruction of public property, destruction of private property, destruction of a shopping mall, and jumping a drawbridge. And during the making of this movie itself, Dan Aykroyd admitted that part of the $27 million budget was actually for cocaine. (laughs) The SNL spinoff movie made about $115 million off of that less than $27 million budget, but its legacy doesn't end there because it has become one of the most iconic franchises, spawning a sequel, a video game, and one of the best soundtracks you'll ever find including many live shows from the band made up of Aykroyd and Belushi and then a bunch of bona fide top-notch musicians. That's what I got for my movie's pick. You gotta go with the Blues Brothers. It actually held the record for most cars destroyed in a movie at 103. And that was one less that was then destroyed in Blues Brothers 2000 <laughs> in 1998. Unfortunately, both of them were surpassed and the record was broken at 112 cars destroyed by the all-time movie classic G.I. Joe, The Rise of Fucking Cobra. (laughs) That's a given. (laughs) I give to you the Blues Brothers. All right, who wants an orange whip? Orange whip? Orange whip? (laughs) I was going to say it's interesting because... While 100, what, 102, 100, 103 cars were destroyed in the original Blues Brothers, 103 careers were destroyed in Blues Brothers 2000. So, come on. How many careers were killed in The Rise of Cobra? Oh, uh, Josie Warren Levin made it out alive. I think that might have been it. All right. Well, let's throw it down to Adam Sweeney and Scott Barber for the ruling on the movies round. Real quick. The Blues Brothers had a video game. They did on the SNES. On the Super Nintendo. That, yeah, that feels like that would have been a good. Sega. It really, that, that doesn't surprise me. All, I feel like all of the uh, like games that were like that, like I had a Ghostbusters 2 game on the Nintendo and it was real bad. Like all of the like franchise type games. It's like they relied on the name and were like, yeah, we can make it. I remember playing crap. Gremlins 2. 
the the game and playing yeah. a three stooges game and oh. back to the future uh, that's the worst no i'm sorry et <laughs> yeah. was the worst yeah i mean et's yeah. <laughs> well i'm talking like nes but yeah et is pretty bad right yeah 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 yeah. we're not going into yeah man i'm i'm torn because i you know i love you know obviously love half-baked love blues brothers and i mean you know that we all love freebie and the bean <laughs> how could you not I never saw Freebie and the Bean, but I accidentally downloaded it once from shop file sharing services. It was mislabeled as Flicking the Bean. <laughs> <laughs> What's this James Conn shit? <laughs> oh, Scott, wh- wh- where, where's your head at? So I'm excited about Freebie and the Bean because <laughs> I learned something new. <laughs> that sounds super interesting. Uh Blues Brothers, you know, it's hard not to be biased because that's such a, I mean, all those old SNL people, I just love it. What a great cast. What a great legacy. Um, Half-Baked, Jim Brewer, awesome. He, remember Goat Boy from SNL? What what an un- underrated SNL guy. <laughs> it's a tough one. Personally, I'm leaning towards Blues Brothers because, one, it's Blues Brothers. And also – there's the kind of like dual layer of breaking the law there where they break the law in the movie. And they're also doing some crime, doing that uh, cocaine behind the scenes. So it, it kind of works on two levels. I, I, I agree. I just saw that. Um, I think it was from red Dawn. I've been passing around that clip of Arnold Schwarzenegger pulling the leg off with cocaine. And he's like, cocaine. cocaine. So yeah. Cocaine. <laughs> So I yeah I'm gonna I think Blues Brothers I think Blues Brothers uh you know just if only a chance to tell people uh to remind people how amazing Aretha Franklin is I was gonna say <laughs> you know what I forfeit my pick just give it to Blues Brothers because I'm not gonna <laughs> I, I will say this though and uh, I don't know if he'll I, I don't know if he'll listen but uh, Scott knows uh, my, my we all grew up together so Scott knows my my cousin Greg who uh, he grew out of it. But whenever he was in high school, everybody said that he was a uh, doppelganger for Harlan Williams. So uh, <laughs> tough times. But the point is, we all we all grow. We all grow. and We all move on. So <laughs> no freebie in the bean love. <laughs> <laughs> I used to be a cough. I used to I was a marketing director for a coffee uh, promo. Uh, like a coffee company. And so I think that if we, uh, if there were any promos going on, we would from now on call it freebie and the bean. I'll take that. I'll take that. (laughs) And I'll take that point from that round and control the board. So, you know what guys, I think for the next category, we're going to go over to the music round. So for my music selection, I give you a song that tells the tragic story of a man whose life is completely wasting. He was out of work and down feeling very frustrated He drifts from town to town. He feels that as if nobody cares if he lives or if he dies. He turns to a life of crime in order to put, well, some action back in his life. And thanks to our good friends Beavis and Butthead, who years and years later would repopularize this song and give juvenile delinquents everywhere an anthem and a battle cry. Released April 14th, 1980, on the album British Steel, I give to you Breaking the Law from Judas Priest. British Steel would go on to end up third on Rolling Stone's list of 100 greatest metal albums of all time. And Breaking the Law sits at number 40 on VH1's list of greatest metal songs. And also VH1 named 
Breaking the Law, the 12th greatest hard rock song of all time. So that's my pick, Breaking the Law, April 14th, 1980. And that makes two episodes in the last month where you brought up Beavis and Butthead's soundtrack. Oh. I know. How weird is that? That is weird. It's kind of totally different, totally different uh, genres, by the way. See that, Mark? See what I'm wearing? My shirt. And you happen to be wearing Beavis and Butthead. That should should be a loss for the round, then. That's a good song. (laughs) That's a a good song. It's pretty on the nose, too. You were talking about breaking the law, and this song is called Breaking the Law. Rob Halford, (laughs) one of the greatest heavy metal frontmen of all time. Heavy metal people, they kind of get a bad rap, you know, sometimes they're kind of backwards thinking. And I I thought it was kind of cool how when he came out, the metal community was just like, dude, you're awesome. We could care less, man. You're badass. And I thought that was a chance uh, that the metal community was able to show that they're they are super tolerant and super progressive. And and uh, so I thought that was cool anyway. and, And it was also one of the I learned I was learning to play guitar when Beavis and Butthead was on. And that was one of the first songs I ever learned that. Funny story about Judas Priest. I don't know why this happened, but in sixth grade chorus, they were looking for a new song to like add to the mix of our songs or whatever. And our teacher was like, Oh, we're gonna we're thinking about doing these songs. And on the list, this is this is like 1990, somewhere around there, late. 80s early 90s and she was like uh we're gonna do um these songs or we're thinking about doing these songs and love bites was on there but it was the deaf leopard love bites which I, which <laughs> yeah. would even those lyrics you look at it be like how the f- what but i was like love bites judas priest sweet <laughs> and she was like no no not not that <laughs> at all <laughs> She was like, no, instead, we are actually going to do Turbo Lover. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Man Crush, what did you bring for the music round? All right, so let's go May 11th, 1974. And uh, so as it turns out, finding stupid crimes in music in 1974 were few and far between or incredibly boring. Uh, this is until I found this gem. This is a little story that ended up making national news. And the title of the article, it pretty much sums up everything. It's uh, bagpipes turn on off-duty policemen. And uh, those bagpipes we heard during 1974's home of the National Police Week, which is being held in Portsmouth, Rhode Island. This little ordeal occurred at the Ramada Inn just after midnight that evening. The NYPD bagpipe band performed their epic set. And by all accounts, it almost sounded like Motorhead was in town. Eyewitnesses at the Ramada Inn identified a dozen off-duty Boston police officers as among those who stripped nude while skipping and frolicking in the motel's nightclub and lobby during a drunken tirade. This entire charade lasted until dawn during the several-hour span. These men pissed and shit on carpets, smashed chairs and tables, set off fireworks, sprayed fire extinguishers, slashed car tires, stole liquor from the bar's storage room, threw all of the hotel lobby pictures into the courtyard, and caused well over $1,000 in damages during this drunken fit of joy brought on by bagpipers. Peter Stilfin, the owner of the motel, said the officers were identified through pictures provided by the Boston Police Department's Internal Affairs Unit. Stilfin said that the trouble erupted when the New York Police Department bagpipe band showed up and performed at the Ramada's nightclub. 
Stilva noted everything was done in good fun, but they clearly over <laughs> clearly overdid it. Uh, motel manager Gene Lawler said the police officers initially danced nude on tables inside the nightclub before making their way into the lobby where they were also nude. Boston Police Commissioner Robert DeGrazia has ordered a full probe into the incident. That's a mistake. Wow. I can say <laughs> just off the bat. That... So it was a gather. It was a festival or they this were playing was, bagpipes? Yeah, it was National Police Week. And it was like, okay. I guess it was like a national thing. And they had like all these bands and different events going on during the week. And they just happened to be staying at the Ramada Inn. So the, the NYPD bagpipe band came out and they had a set that they were playing at the Ramada Inn's nightclub that night. And dude, people just lose their shit for uh, the NYPD bagpipe band. And obviously the, the Boston Police Department is like, fuck it, fuck clothes. And let's just do this shit. And they did. And this is what happened. So, so it's police week. The <laughs> NYPD bagpipe band played bagpipes, and it caused them to just get naked and poop and pee all over the Ramada Inn, <laughs> amongst other things. Yes. Wow. <laughs> yeah, that happens every time people play bagpipes. Like, have you guys ever been to a Dropkick Murphy show? <laughs> That's what I was picturing. Also being partially, also being partially not just Irish but Scottish, <laughs> I can say that this is a pretty accurate uh, description of what happens whenever. Uh, <laughs> so. I brought this for all of our new Irish listeners. I, I when I do actually no, do Irish people listen to bagpipes or is it only Scottish people? Well. I'm sure they listen to it, but I don't know if they play they it. Like it. <laughs> <laughs> Only the Boston Police Department likes it a lot. Yeah, the original title of the Dropkick Murphy song after that incident was called I'm Shitting Up to Boston. <laughs> yeah, there it is. <laughs> All right, Trevor, what did you bring for the music round? Well, gentlemen, I will bring you to April 7th, 1998, Will Rogers Memorial Park in Beverly Hills, California. It was a nice, beautiful day and everybody enjoying their picnics and all that stuff. But a certain musician decided, you know what? Uh, I need to get some release. So I'm going to go inside a public bathroom and see if, <laughs> and see if I can get, uh, get some action. Well, apparently that action was offered by an undercover officer. And <laughs> of, I had a nickel. <laughs> uh, I'm of course describing George Michael being arrested for engaging in a lewd act. He was arrested by undercover policeman Marcelo Rodriguez in a sting operation using so-called pretty police. In an MTV interview, Michael stated, I got followed into a restroom, and then this cop, I didn't know it was a cop, obviously, he started playing this game, which is, I think, called I'll show you mine, you show me yours, and then when you show me yours, I'm going to nick you. (laughs) So uh, Michael was arrested, and in the subsequent... In the subsequent days, he decided that was the best time to just finally come out and say, I'm gay. So apparently um, he was in the closet until this arrest, and he decided, you know what? Uh, fuck it. I'm gay. So Was was the, was Marcelo Rodriguez um, a member of the NYPD bagpipers? <laughs> And, yeah, he was on a. He, they transferred him to to Beverly Hills, and they decided, you know what? You'd probably be uh, 
he'd, his his services would probably be more um, of use there. Fair enough. Yeah. Fair enough. Anytime you do anything bad, blame it on the bagpipe. Guys, it was the bagpipe. <laughs> I don't know what happened. That first note, I was like, what? Bag- <laughs> yeah, George Michael, he thought bagpipe was a euphemism, but, you know. <laughs> All right, well, let's hear what Adam Sweeney and Scott Barber have to say on the final one-point round. Wow. You know, have you guys ever heard the, the the legend of the brown note? You know, a note that you can supposedly hit and it just makes people crap. Maybe, yes. Maybe Infamous I, South Park always, episode. Yeah, okay. You know, maybe the secret is it's got to be on a bagpipe and they, they found the, the brown <laughs> note. That's what made people just take off their clothes. And just to clarify, it. in the news article, they did say defecate. I added piss and shit. Piss and shit, yeah. yeah. <laughs> just, I, I needed to dumb it down for myself. Not a, not a, not, not, that was not an actual journalistic <laughs> insert into it. Just to clarify. Well, it is 1970s newspapers. It's so true. That's true. They show like murders on the front page. Next to it was like an ad for Freebie and the Bean. <laughs> and, uh... <laughs> oh, man. Um, oh, God. God. Uh, I, I I defer again. I'm gonna ask Scott. Like, what are your thoughts first, man? I mean, breaking the law, Judas Priest, awesome song, mm. of course. Um, you know the George Michael thing. Golly, you know, it kind of reminds me a little bit of what happened to Pee Wee Herman. You know, where it's like a little bit like entrapment. You know, if this dude straight up was like, "Hey, come on," it was you know getting him to commit a crime. It's like that kind of that kind of blows. <laughs> well played. <laughs> <laughs> you know it's like they were like couldn't we focus on crimes where people are actually getting hurt as opposed to you know yeah. something like that. the police officer was a real jerk off so <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know i'm also i i am an unabashed wham fan and a, and a fan yeah. of uh of, of george michael i think george michael is like under uh, like in the next slate of biopics that come out i think george michael it's a matter of time before before he gets one and andrew ridgely yeah 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 Yeah, of course of course poor guy he's always going to be known as like the other guy from wham the other guy i remember watching uh really quickly uh i don't know why this reminded me of but like uh ellen degeneres had before she came out had done i think had done a uh, like special where they were watching a bunch of music videos, like with the rest of the group. So I guess Jeremy Piven may have been on there also, mm-hmm. but uh, I think it was Jeremy Piven, but, uh, or a guy who looks like Jeremy Piven. Um, and they were showing Wham! And, uh, and she was like, oh man, George Michael, he's amazing and so talented. And they were like, what is the name of the other guy? And they go, I think his name is Wham! Actually. <laughs> and, and Ellen goes, well, I hope that Wham saved his money. So it's <laughs> rough. I, I, you know, I initially, I would say Judas Priest initially, Scott. But I, I, I think that we need to carry on the legacy of of George Michael, and I do think that he got, I do think he got a raw deal. What do you, what do you think, Scott? Yeah. So does that mean that that's a good choice or a bad choice? Because he didn't really commit a stupid crime. To me, it was the the officers that were kind of being stupid there. It's true. Yeah. Oh man, I don't. I don't know. I don't know. I I I wipe my hands of this. I'm like Robert De Niro in Copland. Yeah, my hands that, are tied. Personally, that just pisses me off because you know I feel like they could have been doing better things and saving people that are actually getting hurt instead of entrapping people. And it also you know it forced him to to come out when he wasn't maybe ready 
Yeah. George Michael is awesome. He got, uh, you, if you guys ever listened to that, right after Freddie Mercury died, you know, they did the big Queen tribute where they had different people singing. Yeah. I mean, he was awesome. A lot of times, George Michael, yeah, you're, he's known more for his personality and his, 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 just his style. But I mean, the fact that he can sing a Freddie Mercury song and do a damn good job shows what a badass yeah. he is. Personally, I got to go with, uh, this is just me, but I got to say bagpipes making cops poop and pee all over the, all over the hotel. I mean, that's a bizarre crime right there. That's, and, and I, I didn't know anything about that. So I'm, uh, I don't want to say fascinated by no fuck it. I'm fascinated by this. Story. I think that might be your next documentary. I, I'd watch yes. it. I'd watch it. <laughs> All right, man, Chris, you pick up a point and you take control of the board heading into our first two point round. Oh, man. Where do we go? Uh, what do we have left here? We have uh, television and news. All right, let's go. Let's go news. Let's do a two point round with news. I don't know how news got stretched to two points. It usually never does. But let's go to July 14th, 1974. And I'll tell you one thing. Looking for selections that generally aren't pop culture related is a much different animal. I don't know about you guys, but it's completely different than. Uh, oh, totally. Oh, God, it was it was rough. That being said, like my peepers are always on the lookout for things that could be pop culture related. And I don't know how our other contestants here go about selecting their stories. But when I'm sparked by things that could be made into like a movie or a TV show, I feel like. Like, like a ripped from the headlines type deal. I'm all over it. So I was digging through the Philadelphia Inquirer and thanks newspapers.com for giving us the opportunity to do so. I saw this headline and I immediately knew this was going to be good. And just keep in mind, this is 1974 and this could definitely be a 70s TV show. A complete synopsis right here. So the title of this article is Policeman Develop Sixth Sense Spotting Stolen Cars. Out of Wilmington, Delaware, Detective Rich Brown was cruising around an all-black West Wilmington neighborhood recently when the word Italia brought his foot to the brake pedal. And just like that, he found another stolen car. Detective Richard H. Brown is considered something of a phenomenon by his superiors and colleagues in the Wilmington Bureau of Police. He has an uncanny knack for locating stolen cars often with the thief still inside. Although some of Brown's fellow officers believe he has an instinctive ability to spot a car that has been stolen, Brown feels that it's just practice and concentration. Just like realizing an auto with an Italia bumper sticker probably doesn't belong in a black neighborhood. Brown's abilities have brought him honors and benefits unusual for an officer for only four years on the force. He's been, he's been promoted from patrolman to detective in the city's auto theft unit and has been awarded the police department's highly coveted outstanding service ribbon. As a patrolman, according to Lieutenant John Doherty, the Wilmington Police Department public information officer, Brown is recovering more stolen cars in one year than an average patrolman does in five. And to make the point really stand out, Wilmington Police Department has a recovery rate of ninety-two or 95.2%. And he says, and I quote, our patrolmen are no slouches when it comes to this. One time, Brown was shopping off-duty when he spotted a car he suspected was stolen. He surprised the two occupants in the auto and found out later that the two men had... <laughs> the way that this is written is 
just terrible. He found out later that the men he arrested had just pulled off a robbery. I just made it my own. Matter of fact, in 1970 alone, which is his rookie year, Brown made nine apprehensions of stolen cars with the thief still inside. Of those, a murder suspect that was wanted for sniping and burglary, a fugitive in a holdup, and multiple burglars. And I'm just, I'm cherry picking this article here. Get to the good stuff. It says Brown usually picks up at least one car a day, sometimes as many as four or five. Since Brown has joined the three man car, since Brown has joined the three man car theft unit, stolen vehicles are down from 2,000 to 935 on this fiscal year. So I give you, uh, it's Detective Richard Brown and Stolen Car Squad catching stupid crooks with his sixth sense. But yeah, dude, I like I went through like a bunch of newspapers trying to figure out what happened to this dude. And uh he was still in the uh the police force, still with Delaware, still with Wilmington, all the way up to like 1990, I found articles. Still wow. in the same division, still cracking down cars. And then I found a, an article from like 1995 where his son became a cop in his dad's footsteps. So it was pretty crazy, so I figured Give him some props, and uh, there's a great picture of him here. I can't show it to you guys because it's on my screen, but he's holding up a ring of keys of all the cars that he's like found. Hundreds of keys in this ring, and he's on, <laughs> at the point of this article. He's only on the force for four years. It's crazy. Did the force ever suspect that maybe he was in on it? <laughs> I, you know, I was thinking that when I read this. But the fact that he, and that's why I kept going forward to see if anything popped up, but he was still all about it in the same unit, you know, 20 some odd years later. So I don't think that's the case. All right, Trevor, what did you bring for the news round? Mine is actually a news story literally called Stupid Criminal Strikes Again from December 10th, 1998. It actually begins as a Dear Ann Landers letter. Um, it says, Dear Ann Landers, here's one for your stupid criminal file. Actually, you might have to start this new category for unusual victims. This newspaper article was written by Dana, da- Diana Strzalka and appeared in the Chicago Tribune, and I roared when I read it. Laughing on Lakeshore Drive, it's called. Dear Laughing, so did I. My readers will love it. Here it is. Police say there are... They are close to arresting a man who allegedly robbed his former boss at gunpoint and then forced him to strip and wait in the office restroom while the robber escaped with the loot what brought officers to the scene was not the fleeing gunman but the naked boss who refused to wait in the restroom ventured into the parking lot got into his car and chased the robber briefly although the robber apparently did not see his victim before driving away an alarmed mail carrier and other witnesses did and called the cops the suspect also managed to make things easier for police. His name and address, as well as the names and addresses of his relatives, are listed on his job application. Police are attempting to pin down his whereabouts and expect to file charges soon. The suspect, 19-year-old Chicago man, had worked for a couple of weeks before quitting. His employer told police on Friday afternoon a man wearing a ski mask entered the office. He displayed the gun tucked in his pants and told the boss to give him money. The boss handed over $2,000 in jewelry. The robber directed the employer, age 24, to remove all of his clothes, get into the restroom, and count to five. The boss told the police he thought he recognized the voice of the former employee. His suspicions were confirmed later when he saw the robber pull off of the mask before he left, giving the boss a clear view of his face. 
<laughs> Instead of waiting in the restroom, the victim followed the robber to the parking lot. Crouching behind a car, the employer watched the robber sitting in his car, counting the money. That is when the passerby called the police to report a naked man in the parking lot. Before the police arrived, the employer, still naked, got his car keys, jumped into his car, and gave chase. Police de declined to comment on the case. So yeah, that's my stupid, stupid crime news story. A man who not only took off his mask while still in the scene of the crime, but should have known his application with his name and his address would be on file. <laughs> and, he, and he counted the money. <laughs> Shit. He was counting the money still in the parking lot? Is that? Yeah. He took off his mask and started counting the money. Wow. Yeah. You got to know when to count your money. And you got to know when to run. <laughs> this guy hadn't been listening to enough Kenny Rogers. In real turn of events, uh, Detective Richard Brown actually uh, arrested him in the car, which turned out to be stolen. All right, gentlemen. So for my news story, we're going to go to the front page of the Spokane Chronicle, December 17th, 1980, where the headline reads, Foiled lights, camera, action, money heist put on film out of London. Six gunmen thought they were out to pull Britain's biggest heist since the Great Train Robbery of 1963. They had no idea television cameras were rolling. 30 detectives and police officers acting on a tip from an underworld agent were waiting with guns and television cameras today. They had no chance to use their guns, one officer said. We were on them before they got the money, and it was all over in a matter of seconds. Investigators refused to say how much cash was in the armored car, but they did say the robbery could have surpassed the Great Train robbery of August 8th, 1963, where a gang of bandits escaped with 2.6 million pounds, or 5.2 million U.S. dollars. Police said they had known for about two weeks that a major robbery was being planned, and by Monday they knew exactly when and where it would be made. Officers were hiding in a nearby shrub when the compact car pulled up alongside the armored car that was loaded with cash from a series of bank collections. Within seconds, the bandits jumped out, but the would-be robbers were surrounded before they could use their shotguns or an electric chainsaw to cut open the armored car. Six men were taken into custody, and detectives said the film of the arrest could become a textbook lesson on how to catch a gang of armed robbers. So, yeah, I go over to London, England for, well, a not-so-great train robbery or bank heist, I guess, but December 17th, 1980. It it seems appropriate in London that they were, like, that the, that the cops decided to, like, hide in a shrub. Yeah. <laughs> like, to, like, to, like, could be anywhere, right? It's like, should we be in the cars, perhaps, in case, like, we have to give chase? No, 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 no. We will hide in the shrubs. Trust me on this. It works every time. I'm just imagining them wearing their little bobby hats twirling the nightsticks. <laughs> you just see the bobby hats sticking up from the tops of the shrubs because they're so tall. Yeah. Yeah, they're yeah, the robbers are sitting there. They're like, hey, um uh Lloyd, do, do shrubs usually have hats on top? <laughs> like, we don't have time. We have to do this. And you hear the shrubs say, um, no, it's just a shrub. Pay no mind. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you heard it. <laughs> just go back to it. <laughs> All right, Adam Sweeney, Scott Barber, let's hear your verdict on the news round. 
Mm. Man Crush, your uh, your guy, Richard Brown, that was his name? Richard Brown, yes. Detective. Detective Richard Brown. Was it was he trying to imply or was it implied that he had some sort of paranormal ability or if you read the article, yes, but I don't think it was for real. I think they were just pushing it out there that this guy's so damn good, he must have a sixth sense. At first I thought there was almost like a little bit of like like we were gonna hear like a tragic end to this where it was like racial profiling. Because he's like <laughs> No Italian car would be in a black neighborhood. Well, that, and that's why I prefaced it by saying it was 1974. Right? Yeah, totally, 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 totally. I get that. He's the, he's not a good cop. He's just incredibly racist. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and so so we had okay. So we had so we had um, six cents cop. We had uh, naked. Remember my face. Count the yeah. <laughs> and then and then we had uh the the shrubbery um hmm god these are some stupid people <laughs> right and, and real quick trevor the dude was naked because the the robber had told him to take off all his clothes and get into the bathroom while he had escaped he thought that that would deter him right basically he thought okay, he's not going to have enough time to get his clothes on and chase me and find out, you know, what my car plate is. So he figured, you know what, if he's naked, that means either he's too embarrassed to go outside or he's going to take too long to get his clothes on and find the plates and I'll be long gone before he gets out there. So he didn't account for the boss having no shame. And <laughs> well, it turned out the guy had a 12 inch cock. So he, was just like, yeah. he wasn't. Yeah. He had, he had, he, well, he actually, actually was like, this is my time to shine. Yeah. The twist was the boss was actually Harry Reams. <laughs> he was hurting for money since the set from uh, deep throat got robbed. So. <laughs> I was going to say witnesses were, were shocked to see George Michael walking out minutes later. Allegedly. <laughs> allegedly. 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 Yeah. Uh, I, I, you know, and I think to kind of shake it up, uh, and I'm always a fan of going down to the, going down the wire. I'm tempted to, to, to go with, um, uh, with, with the, uh, the, the, the stupid, uh, the stupid, uh, jaded former, former employer or former employee. Uh, Scott, what do you think? I second that because that guy's an idiot like that. If we're talking <laughs> about like stupid, uh, you know, stupid crimes, if that's the theme that, I mean, Golly. <laughs> that was the only thing with mine i didn't think my guy was stupid i just thought it was a cool story and i couldn't find any yeah. stupid and it stories is. It, you know not to not to get too off the rails here but i just saw a movie called mind horn have you guys ever seen that no it's got julian barrett from the mighty boosh in it and he's a he played a cop who had one magical eye that could see the truth mind horn. <laughs> he can see the truth with his one magic eye <laughs> Uh, your story, man, Crash, brought up some good feelings because I just watched <laughs> that movie. That reminded me of it. One can see the truth with magic eye. One can find, I guess, stolen cars as long as it's in a racist way. <laughs> I was trying my damnedest to stay. And I told this guy to these. Uh, I told this to these guys beforehand. I was trying to stay away from the Patty Hearst story because that's yeah. the stupid mm. crime that was basically all of 74. So this was something different. Points for that. Yeah, for not yeah. going for the obvious, for sure. 
All right, so let's get a score reset here. Man Crush has two points. Trevor has two points, and I have one, and we're heading into the final Ooh. television round. Trevor, you have the option. Would you like to go first, or would you like to defer? Uh, You know what? I'm going to get this one out of the way because uh, it's, it's what I got. Um, my uh, TV pick is a TV movie that premiered on... March 29th, 1998. It's a Disney original starring the king of stupid Leslie Nielsen and Bug Hall. Um, if that name sounds familiar, he played Alfalfa in The Little Rascals. This is a movie about a middle school student who aspires to become a member of the school safety patrol. He um, teams up with Leslie Nielsen to uh, take down this theft ring who apparently it's a couple of teachers of the school. Yeah, it's a stupid criminal movie called safety patrol um with a cameo by weird al yankovic wow oh uh, yeah can't go wrong with any weird al Nah, no it can't really <laughs> all right guys so for my television offerings we'll once again go over to our good friends at newspapers.com for an article written by mike royko of the chicago sun times where the headline reads television may just be the spot for kooks and dumb criminals out of Chicago, a trend appears to be developing among some dull-witted, moronic criminals. They like to surrender to TV stations. For a while, the acknowledged leader in accepting surrender was Russ Ewing, a reporter at the local Channel 5 here. It seemed that hardly a day would pass without some second-rate hysterical wife-kicker holding up his apartment, threatening to shoot the world, unless he could turn his worthless bone over to Ewing. Then the article goes on to talk about how Channel 2 is now getting into the action by interviewing what the author of this article described as unlike any interview he had ever heard before. Where some dumbass at a birthday party where they were getting drunk on the front porch, which tells you all you need to know about this party, got into a fight with his brother-in-law and shot at him, missing him and shooting a pregnant lady, wounding her and wounding the unborn baby in the leg then wanted to surrender on live TV, wearing a hat and sunglasses. When the TV reporter asked the idiotic question, do you consider this shooting to have been an accident? The Claude summoning up some tears blubbered something like, yeah, it was an accident. I didn't want to shoot Mary Ann. This article is just absolutely ridiculous. It goes on to talk about how just this trend of uh, has to be stopped that there is no good way that they can do it. The law should be passed that if anybody surrenders to a TV station, this TV station should have to keep them. Actually, that might not work too bad. The article goes on to saying they could actually wind up doing the weather for them. So a recent string in 1980 of people committing stupid crimes and then only wanting to surrender to television stations live on the air. Was this the inspiration for the movie Airheads? It probably could have been. It's <laughs> <laughs> a great movie. And actually, it reminds me of a scene from Freebie and the Bean where they get into, they get, they get into a gunfight in a dentist's office and they accidentally shoot the nurse and they're in the car after they leave. And he goes, you shot the nurse. And he's like, it was an accident. Like, it was no big deal. Like, ah, fuck it. Fuck. You know, I'm going to start... I want to start. I want to keep doing saying that from now on. I hope that that becomes a trend. You know, it reminds me of a scene from uh, *Freebie and the Bean*. When never explain it to anybody. Just say it. Ever, ever, and nobody else will, except for us, will have seen it. 
right? Because we'll have to watch it, obviously. I haven't seen it before. And then other people will be like, oh, yeah, they, they, uh, they yeah, 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 totally freebie in the bean. Yeah, I remember that. That was a game changer. That was, <laughs> you'd be like, remember when he tried to coerce that dude's that one criminal by taking his girlfriend in the bedroom and like tying her up with a belt and just like taking an apples in her hand. And he was like, it was so weird. Yeah. Be like, what? Like, huh, it's what? a weird, that's a weird fucking scene. I don't even want to like give too much away. You'll be like, what is going on? All right, man, crush. What did you bring for the television round? It's obviously not going to be the premiere of freebie and the bean. No, it's not. That's <laughs> I need to be six years later, but let's go uh, April 29th. 1974 and i was initially going to pick an episode of hawaii 50 here about an ex-cop's son who uh was like caught in a meth lab sting and uh spoiler alert uh at the end the father catches him red-handed and uh the son blows them both up inside the meth house crazy shit a lot like the george michael story <laughs> a little bit a little bit but they but he actually blew them up not blew him oh okay. um, <laughs> but but then i stumbled across this little blurb out of Cincinnati about a politician that held a press conference and I dropped that fucking episode like a bad habit. So anyway, on April 29th, 1974, a young up and coming democratic politician, he resigned his position as a Cincinnati town councilman in a press briefing held at the Hamilton County democratic party headquarters, Gerald Norman Springer, age 30. He shocked the city of Cincinnati with his unexpected resignation. Apparently, the man who once served as campaign advisor for Robert F. Kennedy was caught in the middle of a Cincinnati Vice sting. <laughs> like every time I saw that Cincinnati Vice, but he, uh, he was caught in this Cincinnati Vice sting at a local massage parlor. This massage parlor, which was notorious for their infamous rub and tugs. Uh, the thing is, uh, Gerald wasn't actually there at the time of the sting. However, being short on cash one day. Mr. Springer ended up paying for his happy ending with a personal check. And uh, when the vice squad ended up, uh, you know, doing the raid, they ended up finding the canceled check at the massage parlor. And uh, I mean, this is just too damn stupid. I wonder if like he wrote in the remarks field, like hand relief or like for services rendered or some shit like that. But as it turns out, uh, you know, his constituents, they weren't even that mad about the handy. They were more upset than the fact that he was stupid enough to write a check and leave a paper trail. But it didn't end all bad. You fast forward a year. Mr. Springer won his seat back on the town council. Matter of fact, he was so popular. Town council ended up making him the Cincinnati City Council mayor in 1977, which is basically like the mayor of Cincinnati. And he served that for a year. And then in 1982, Gerald would run for governor of Ohio. And he ran a TV spot that acknowledged his guilt. And this, uh, this is a quote from his ad. It says, nine years ago, I spent time with a woman I shouldn't have. And I, paid, and I paid her with a check. I wish I hadn't done that. And the truth is, I wish nobody would have ever known. But in the rough world of politics, opponents are not going to let personal embarrassments lay to rest. Sadly, uh, he finished third in the Democratic primaries. And that was basically the end of his political career. Although... He would consider running for the Senate some years later. However, with the negativity surrounding his TV show, the Jerry Springer show, he decided against it. Uh, so I give you Jerry Springer gets a hand job and pays with a check. Oh, my God. Wow. <laughs> and now he's uh, now he's a judge. Actually, he has oh, that show. See that? 
It all comes full circle. What a twist. <laughs> or a pull. I remember that story, Man Crush. I was like, I know where this is going. Because <laughs> that was one of the stupidest, stupidest ever things I've ever heard. It's like, you 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 get a hand job and you pay with a check. <laughs> and it was a ten dollar check. Well, and and I mean, I'll say this, like this place is known for the like infamous rub and tugs. You know, <laughs> I I try to stay, keep it classy and stay above. You know what I mean? I only go to places that perform famous rubs and tugs. So, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So at least have some class. I mean. <laughs> well, he wanted to support small businesses. <laughs> it's yeah. true. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I I think that I was going to say that would have been a part like he could do a perfect like Bitcoin like promotion right now. Be like, I once was caught oh, with yeah. this. Now we don't have to use checks. We don't have to use this. We don't have to do that. And he could just get paid. Dogecoin. It's the people's currency. All right. Let's go down to Adam Sweeney and Scott Barber for the final ruling on this game. All right. So we'll recap here. We've got the guy that gets a rub and tug pays with a check and turns out to be Jerry Springer. <laughs> and then Mark yours was the story of the, uh, the whole trend of people turning themselves in on live TV. All right. I'm just trying to recap here. The, then, there was I, 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 then there was safety patrol with bug hall and Leslie Nielsen. Yeah. But I know you're not going to pick that one. So just <laughs> it doesn't. I will say this: it, you know, this is luck of the draw. First off, obviously, with the topics, right? So I mean, that one could have gotten out of the way first. It's never, uh, you know. And I, I, as a veteran judge, thank you for your service. <laughs> which is weird because Jerry Springer actually said that also whenever he was walking out of the rubber. There you go. <laughs> thank you for your service. <laughs> so, um. It's it's usually probably not a good thing whenever you have to start with, well, here's what I got. Like this is <laughs> this is what I got. Yeah, that was that was my bad. No, 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 that's not your yeah. bad. It's it's Disney's fault for making Safety Patrol. That's not on you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it had Weird Al, so I was kind of. No, I get it. I get it. If it's Weird Al, I have to pick it because goddamn that man. It's Weird Al. Yeah, there's somebody we need to thank for the service. Uh, you know, Scott, uh, I, I mean, I think I know which way I'm leaning. I, yeah, go for it. I, go for it. I think it's the, it's, you know, if there's one thing that we have to hold on to, it's the American dream. And yeah. to be a politician who falls from grace after so humbly putting himself into the hands of his constituency, <laughs> returns to politics and then ultimately becomes a soothsayer and the voice of the people. I mean, I think that we have to, we have to uh, lean towards the, uh, our, our man of truth, Jerry Springer. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. Which is to the right, by the way. <laughs> what I read. He also was part of the first ever surveillance camera that had been released that year also. So, which is how we know that. Thank you, newspapers.com. Yeah. All right, Man Crush, well, you won this game by picking up those final two points in the television round. Whoo, I'm glad I didn't have, well, actually, I'm a little disappointed now because my other story that I was going to save for my tiebreaker 
was about the streaking <laughs> the streaking epidemic of 1974. <laughs> was that the year that the guy was at the Oscars and did it? Uh, it dude, this happened. I swear to God, like I, I like I said before about the Patty Hearst thing being you know all of 74, most of it streaking all of 74. Wow. It was crazy. I wrote a song about it. Remember, like, oh, yes, the college street. Yep. Ray Stevens. It was the summer of love. <laughs> uh. All right. Well, before we get out of here, let's toss it over to Adam Sweeney and Scott Barber. Tell us what you guys are uh, up to and where people can find all your latest projects. Yeah, like you guys mentioned, you know, we directed a film called The Orange Years, which is a really fun documentary about the origin of Nickelodeon kind of follows it through the eighties and nineties, takes it all the way from a really super bizarre, obscure piece of technology in Columbus, Ohio, all the way to the point where it was a bona fide juggernaut. And it's out on iTunes, Amazon, Fandango, Redbox digital, Google play. You can get a DVD if you still do that kind of stuff. Uh, it's just anywhere uh, and we, uh, we are so happy that we got to work on this film and we're so happy we got to work on it together and we'd l- uh, sure appreciate it if you'd check it out. Yeah. It's a really and great it is, film. Guys. It's awesome. It's fantastic. Yeah, it's really cool. And you go back to the, the past episode, these, these veterans, veteran judges, so you go back to, uh, I think it was back in October, November, somewhere around there yep. when you guys were on, we talked about it at length there and the whole episode, if you're a Nickelodeon fan. We talk about all kinds of Nickelodeon things and kid things and all kinds of stuff from our childhood. So go back and check that out. But uh, be careful if you go on Torrance, though, and see it, because it might actually it might not be the orange years. <laughs> yeah. It might, not be. It it might, might be, be free to be in the, the bean. bean. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> All right. Well, once again, congratulations to Man Crush for pulling out this episode. And I want to thank Scott Barber, Adam Sweeney for coming back and being a guest judge once again. So if you guys have missed an episode, you can always head back to our website, DuelingDecades.com, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, really everywhere podcasts are available. And then while you're on those interwebs and going to file sharing services, head on over to Facebook.com forward slash Dueling Decades. We have a private group there. Join it. You can share some of your very own retro memories. So until next time, duelers, we're going to bid you a peace, love, light, and a joy. Have a grateful week, everyone. Podcast New York. Be heard.